All right. Good morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? And we're glad you're here, by the way. Uh, we're a little skinny this morning, kind of halfway expect that, but we're glad that you came. And I want here's my prayer today, is that when you leave here today, and it should have happened already, that you are going to say it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It was worth getting up out of bed and coming to church today because already what God's done. I just told Brother David, great job on that song. That's a shoot that thing song. And he said, we're going to learn that as a, as a congregation just a little bit later on. I appreciate him singing. And I Kind of wish he'd do that just a little bit more. Amen? You really do wish that, all right? And then secondly, before we get in the message, it's just a second or third thing. We'll call it the third thing. The third thing is this. Um, you know, we are always trying to find ways to get you more engaged in the Word of God. And one of the greatest tools, and many of you know this already, is an app, either Android or, or on iOS and Apple, is Uversion, the Bible app. And it's an incredible app. It's free. Uh, something like about 35 translations of the Bible. All kind of reading plans. It's just wonderful. Well, one of the things we're trying, and whether we continue to do it or not, depends on if it's going to help you. And that is in a thing called events. And what it is, uh, during the week, I've sat down the week, and of course I will de- designate that to somebody, delegate that to someone. But anyway, I sit down during the week, and it's kind of an introduction to the, you know, welcome to the message today, or welcome to the service, then welcome to the message. It has the scriptures, that most of the scriptures that we're going to be using, already there. You don't have to flip back and forth. Like, I use several scriptures. They, a lot of them are there already. Some of the major points of the message are there. And then four or five significant announcements. And so, you get that by opening your, your Bible app. You got that today. Day. If you look at the bottom of the screen on the right-hand side, you're going to three lines there. You click on that, mash on that, and uh, then you're going to see events. Click that, and it's going to show up Dorsville Baptist Church. Click on that, and boom, there you are. And so it's just a great way. And by the way, you have a way. You can even ask, if you want to like, take sermon notes, you can actually add them into your phone through the app. There is a place. Add your own notes. And so we want this to be a tool for you. Let us know if it's worth our time to do that. Uh, because, again, anything we can do to help the message and the word come alive, is exactly what we want to do. So you let us know how it works for you, and I hope you'll even try it um, this morning. So we're talking about today about Jesus, John, and jail. Jesus, John, jail. Now you might say that, well, what does that mean? Well, hang on, and you're going to find out. I will tell you this, hopefully before the message, you're going to be able to realize you could, it could be Jesus, me, and jail. And from this side of the podium, it could be Jesus, you, and jail. We're going to talk about that today. Now, this is the last Sunday of our series, Mary Did You Know, based on the song of Christmas, based on the song, Mary Did You Know. And we've heard all these wonderful truths um, throughout the month of December about this song. You know, Mark Lowry did a great job of tying this all together, the amazing stories of Jesus Christ. And the part of the song today that we're going to use to introduce the message is the refrain, the chorus of it. And you want to go and put that sign up, a slide up, it'd be great. I want you to see the words of this. It's like a summary of what Jesus did. Um, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, Praises to the Lamb. And you can probably hear that in your mind just exploding with power. And then it goes, Mary, did you know? It's just really, really wonderfully powerful. And what I want you to see is, is that these things, and it ties in with the message, these things there are game changers, are game changers. And what, what I want you to realize is so much of what is in the Bible are game changers. Okay, go ahead and throw that up there, uh, Patty. Um, you know, game changers can become life changers and mind changers. 
So when God is active in your life, okay, and sometimes that happens in the drawing of you to himself, it happens even before you're a Christ follower, before you're a believer in Jesus, God is putting circumstances in your life to awaken your need for a Savior. And so he's working there, but, but, but for us, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we need to be acutely aware of what's going on in our lives. What game changers is God putting in our place that might become life changers and then mind changers? And that's where we want to go today. You know, we have a man who needed his mind changed. He, he was in a position uh, of, of doubt and depression, and God needed to do a work in his life. And that's a lot of us, maybe not with doubt and depression, or at least depression, but God, we need God to do a work in our lives. So the scripture today is Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, we're going to start in, let's see here, let me see if I can get the right page up, that always helps. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 1, okay? The first verse is just a transition. That's all it is. We won't spend any time there. But then on verse number two and following, that's where it starts getting into our mess. Okay? Here we go. In verse number one of Matthew chapter 11, I'm using the Christian standard. And by the way, you know that if you're in the Bible app. Okay? Uh, Here's what goes. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12. So he's sending the 12 out. It's time for them to leave the nest. And he's sending them out to do ministry for the first time. So when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach to the city. So he sends them out, and he doesn't sit there and go, well, gee, what should I do while the boys are out, you know? He's doing teaching and preaching around the cities around him. And then we have this amazing, like, and it really is, this transition that happens. I mean, we we go from this to this all of a sudden, okay? And Matthew says this in verse number 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Now I want you to really think about this. That, this, is just one of those, this is one of those aha moments for me. Especially the words, now when Jesus heard. I'm sorry, when John heard. Okay? Now, if you look at just that. If, when John heard about the deeds of the Christ. And notice, by the way, Matthew uses that term, the Christ. He doesn't say Jesus. He says the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, when, when, if you take out the word prison, okay, you have a lens. You start seeing things. When, when John heard about the deeds of the Christ, it would have been a whole different story if that was what the Bible said. You know, it would be like this. When John heard about the deeds of the Christ, he said... Oh my goodness, isn't that amazing? Can you all believe what Jesus Christ is doing? He goes, I remember, I remember when I had the opportunity to baptize him. I remember when we were down in the Jordan River and as he came up out of the water, you know, a voice from God, from, you know, a voice from God all of a sudden boomed in the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was an amazing moment. And it wasn't much later then that I heard and saw and there he came toward me and I said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now he said, I'll be honest with you. I probably would have done this a little different. I know. 
You know, you know me, John would say, I'm a little fire and brimstone preacher. I'm that kind of a prophet. And so I would probably, in fact, when I baptized Jesus, I said, you know, I baptized with water. He's going to baptize with fire. And, and I don't understand always what he does because, you know, he seems to have this tender side. There's a lot of healing going on. There's a lot of mercy going on. Oh, oh, he's a great teacher. But regardless of that, he's the Christ. He's the Christ. That's what it would have been had the scripture said when Jesus heard, or when, John, when John heard about the deeds of the Christ. But that's not what it says. It says John is in prison. And by the way, not because he did anything wrong, but because he did something right. You need to know something. You may not find yourself in a physical jail, but you might find yourself in an emotional jail if you do things right with God. There may be students, there may be times when, when you want to be this thing and you're going to be the captain of the football team, the head cheerleader, the president of this club. You want to be popular. You want people to like you. And you're going to find out something that you're going to find yourself imprisoned away from them because you do the right thing. You need to know this, that, that being a Christ follower doesn't guarantee you that you won't spend time in prison. At least the prisons of the world. In fact, often, emotionally, we will find ourselves in prison because we did serve God. We did. Well, John's in prison. And you'll find out that prison changes things. You, you see a different lens. When, when you're locked up and the world is rushing by you and you're there and they're out there, it can change how you see things. Prison does that. Especially prisons when you don't deserve. And it's a, in this case, a physical prison. And so what happens is we read, now when John heard in prison, he's seen through that lens now, not the lens of freedom, but the lens of prison about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So in reality, this is how it would go down. John is in doubt. And he's going, you know, I remember... That my cousin, Jesus, came and asked me to baptize him in the Jordan River. I was there when it happened. I got that. And I know that as I put him in the water and brought him up, I heard this voice. At least I think I did. And the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I get that. I understand that. And, and I know that, that he, that he um, has done some good things. But what's all this mercy stuff? I mean, didn't God lead me to say that he, I'd baptize with water and he would baptize with fire? What's all this healing stuff? What's all this tender stuff? What's all this, if your enemy offends you, turn the other cheek thing? I don't get it. And I just wonder this. Is he really the Christ? How does that happen? How do you go from baptizing the Son of God, hearing the voice of God, declaring Him to be the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world, to, is you the one? Or should we find another? That's what prison 
does. And the prisons that we need to watch out for probably are not, no matter how, how much we are on fire for Jesus, we probably won't go to jail in this country for that. There are brothers and sisters around the world who will, but not us. The prisons we need to watch out for are prisons of our own making. There are, there are prisons that we can find ourselves locked up in that we make ourselves. And the crime that which we will be charged with and end up in prison for is LUIs. You know, if you watch television already, there's a lot of commercials about DUIs. You know, driving under the influence. Of course, we being staunch Baptists, that won't be us. But a lot of us are guilty of LUIs. Living under the influence. If we're living under the influence of God, things go good as far as, at least with us and God. Things may not go well physically in our world, but they go well with God. But what happens when we start living under the influence of stuff and world and questioning and doubting and insecurity? What happens to all those? Well, we find ourselves in prison. And I want to ask you, but even before I dive into this, so you probably don't know where I'm going yet. You may have an idea. But my question would be this. What prison are you in today? I mean, an emotional prison. A psychological prison. Not, not jail bars, physical. But what's got you imprisoned today? What county jail are you sitting in today? Well, you know... You're here today and we're glad that you are. But you know that when you go home, there's something, man, things are not like they used to be between you and God. I'm going to go a little bit further. Things are not like they used to be between you and your wife or your husband or your children or, or parent or students with your parents. Things aren't right. And we're in a prison. We're in a, sitting in a county jail. I thought about the song, uh, Folsom prison blues by johnny cash the words are really pretty good for what i'm trying to say let me try it i want you to remember this and it's why i'm trying to do this uh, johnny cash used to always go um well i'm locked in folkham prison nope no 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 i hear the train a coming it's rolling round the bend and I ain't seen sunshine since. I can't remember when I'm stuck in Folkham Prison and time keeps dragging on. And I hear that train a coming on down the Santa Tone. Now, why'd you take time to sing that for? Because I want you to remember that. Because a lot of you are stuck in Folkham Prisons of your own making. And you haven't seen the sunshine since you can't remember when. What do, I, what do these prisons look like? These prisons look like fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. A prison that we make of our own often is fear and anxiety. And what gets us there is when we start focusing on circumstances and not on God. That gets us in prison. 
Now, you know the story, okay? It's from Mark chapter 4, and Jesus looks at the guys. Now, remember now, circumstance is the deal, and here's the deal. You know, God, Jesus looks at the boys and goes, hey, boys, okay, we're going to the other side. He could not have been any clearer. He and they were going to the other side. So he gets in the boat with them. Now, that's two really big deals. He tells them they're going to the other side, and he's in the boat with them. They get out in the middle of the lake. Jesus falls asleep, okay? And the boys are scared to death. Their lives are filled with fear and anxiety. And that all happened when they looked at their circumstances and forgot what God said and what God did. What God said was, we're going to the other side. What God did was get in the boat with them. And we end up in the prison of fear and anxiety when we forget what God said. Listen, this is not the Reader's Digest. This is not the Koran where they can't decide, and no offense to them, but they can't decide what's current and what's not. Did Muhammad say this or did he mean that? This is the Word of God. 66 precious writings proven by millennia. It is the Word of God. We have that, and it gives us truth. It gives us truth. So if we, then, will listen to what God says in His Word and remember that He promised to never leave us nor forsake us, in other words, He's in the boat with us, then that will give us freedom from the prison, prison of fear and anxiety. But look what it says there in Mark 4.38. Jesus was in the stern, in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. If you're taking notes, write down an incapacitated God. From their perspective, from their human perspective, they look here. Yeah, Jesus may in the boat, but he is incapacitated. He is asleep. Can I be honest? He's useless. And their vision, in their mind, the guy who can make a difference is useless at this moment. Because he's asleep. So they go back to him, they wake him up, and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He's not only incapacitated, he's lackadaisical. Non-committed, not worried, carefree, sarah, sarah. And their opinion, that wasn't much of a savior. And that's what the prison of fear and anxiety does. When we're in that prison, it causes us to have fear and causes us great anxiety. Our God is incapacitated. Our God is lackadaisical. He doesn't care that we're about to drown. And nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? Nothing could be further from the truth. But that's what prison does to you. Prison, when, you look, when you're in prison and you look through those lens, it changes everything. Be careful, because these are prisons that we walk in. When we choose to walk into, when we choose to look at our circumstances over our God, we end up in prison. And you ain't seen the sunshine since you can't remember when. You're stuck in Folsom Prison. The second prison is the prison of envy and discontent. Envy and discontent. This prison, of course, envy, is, you know, I want what they got. 
Not too long ago, it was time for Jean and I to buy a car. And we don't buy new. We bought a four-year-old Volkswagen Jetta. Pretty good shape. I mean, it had a couple of dings on it. Y'all know me and dings, but yeah. And boy, I was so proud of that car. So then my daughter calls me and says, hey, we're looking for a car too. I said, well, we like our Jetta. You might consider that. So they go. Actually, I go with them this past week, uh, Wednesday, to, to the same dealership, the same lot of cars. And we start looking for them. And so we look and we look and we look and we look. And I said, this and have things, this and that. And so finally, there's one more, three more cars. And I find the last one. And it's, it's a year older than my car. It's got a few more miles than my car. But it is the same color and it is a Jetta. And it doesn't have near the options. I mean, I've got the navigation, the sunroof, that mash the button and it starts. But they know more about that car. I'm finding myself going, I like their car. Now, I know that makes no sense to you. But you see, my car had a ding, and theirs didn't. See, envy is illogical. It doesn't have to be logical. Envy. I want what you got. Because what I got ain't enough. And then discontentment is simply the word more. More. I want more. This probably goes along with Judy Sunday school lesson. I don't know. But we just simply want more. And so, so when we start looking at what others have rather than what God has blessed us with, and then as we see the commercials and all of that, we find ourselves wanting more and more and more, and we find ourselves in the prison of this envy and discontentment. And simply put, Like the first one with circumstances, we fall into the more world. And what locks us into the prison of envy and discontent is, I want more. Now we find this, interestingly, in Mark chapter 10 with a couple of the guys. And their names are James and John. So if Mark chapter 10, verse 35, So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said... Now let me tell you about James and John before we read the rest of this. James and John were brothers. They were called the, the sons of thunder because they had a little attitude issue. Okay? And so, so we see James and John, all right? And they had this attitude thing, but they are... Not, it was enough. Out of all the people in the world, at least all the people in that area... Jesus chose 12 guys. And two of them were James and John. So out of all the population, Jesus looked at James and John and said, I want you. That was not the end. Then Jesus had an inner circle. Kind of his go-to guys. When, when he was going to the, inner, you know, to the garden, he chose his inner circle to go further than the other guys. Peter, James, and John. So not only were they of the 12, not only did, of all the people around, they got chosen by Jesus to be part of the 12. Not only that, they were the top three. Now, wouldn't you say if the Son of God chose you out of all the people to be part of his, his limited group, his 12, you'd go, that's enough. Well, maybe you would say then, if, if Jesus chose and said, listen, of all the 12, I want you to be the top three. I want you to be the inner circle. 
Well, surely by now someone's going, that's it, man. That's enough. Like my cup runneth over. But interesting, because when you get into the prison of more, more is never enough. Wasn't it James G, or John, Jack, John D. Rockefeller said when asked, how much is enough? What did he say, remember? One dollar more. That's how more works. When you're in the prison of more, it's always more. So, so here are the inner circle. Here's the 12. Here's the inner circle. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. By the way, you can probably tell you're in the prisons of more when your prayer life is just like that. God, I want you to do whatever I want. Because I deserve it. I'm a good follower of Christ. I write the check. I go to church three times a week. I serve, teach class, sing in the choir. I deserve it. That's what more does. And so you approach God with your prayer life and say, Okay, God, because I'm such a good whatever, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. If I need a job, I want a job. If I need a promotion, I want a promotion. If I want more money, give me more money. If I want a brand new car, give me a brand new car. If I'm sick, I want you to make me well. That's how more works. And by the way, more is never enough. Because when God gives you some of that because of his, of his will and sovereignty to do so... You're never satisfied. You want more. More. So they go to Jesus and they say, so we want you to do whatever we ask you. And he says, so what do you want me to do? He asked them. And they answered, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. So when the kingdom comes and Jesus is king... These two say, we want to be in the position of authority to your right, in the position of authority to your left. In other words, we want more. We want more. And not only that, we deserve that. We've earned that. Now, how did they earn it? I don't know. I mean, how, how did they think they earned that? I don't know. But in their mind... They somehow, even though they were selected as one of the twelve, even though Jesus narrowed it down to the top three, in their mind, they deserved to be right and left lieutenants when Jesus came into his kingdom. That's what more does to you. You want more. I stumbled and fell into an, an email um, devotion that kind of rocked my world because I know it's me. Oh, did I mention to you I need to be honest and tell you, I've served time in all these prisons and might, pricely, might presently be incarcerated. just need to be honest and tell you that. Here's what was in the bottom of this email. Listen carefully. I'll read it twice and I'll try to read it slow. If the gift of grace offered to you by the king, if the gift of grace offered to you by the king Never turns into love for the king. Never turns into love for the king. You eventually start keeping tabs. If the gift of grace offered to you by the king never turns into love for the king, you'll eventually find yourself keeping tabs. 
In other words, you'll find yourself saying, I deserve more. It was enough, I assume you know this, it was enough that God gave you grace. I mean, for goodness sake, you're not frying in hell. You're not going to burn. And only eternity will tell all he did for us. We can see some of it now. But I really believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see things that we didn't even know he did that he did. Accidents missed. Illnesses avoided. Jobs received. Jobs not received, thankfully. Kids that weren't born and bore you grateful. If we're not careful, if the gift of grace and the gift, all that God has given, how much has God given you? All, thank you, everything. So if everything God has given you does not eventually translate into love for the king, not love that he gave you stuff, not for the stuff he gave you, but love for the king... You will find yourself in the prison of envy and dis- discontentment saying, I want more. And more will never be enough. Oh, and one of the side effects of envy and discontentment, that prison, is disappointment. See, some of you think, I married my husband so he can meet all my needs. There's no husband created that can meet all your needs. Some of you married a wife and you said, I married her so she can meet all my needs. And a wife created can meet all your needs. It's not possible. And if your God is the kind of God that unless you gives you everything you want, then he's not God, then get ready for disappointment. Because he's God and you're not. Oh, and he's smarter than you. Oh, and he never makes a mistake. So the prison... Of envy and discontentment is a big one. The last prison, the one I'm probably staying carcinated at way too much, is the prison of doubt and insecurity. Doubt and insecurity. The deal here is, is that we have to have a feely touchy faith. Now, when we say the term feely touchy, that usually means a person who's emotional and needs that touchy thing. Well, and when you have feely, touchy faith, it means that you're walking by sight and not by faith. You've got to feel. I, if, if it doesn't feel right, I, I need the feeling. You've lost the love and feeling. Lost the feeling. Or touchy. If, if I can't touch it, then I can't believe. The prison of doubt and insecurity demands a feely, touchy kind of faith. It's when we refuse to walk by true faith and walk by our own dictated faith, what we think faith means. Uh, John 20, Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas, was the one we go to for this one. Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has showed up. Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. And so in John chapter 20, verse 24, so Thomas, called the twin, uh, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. If we're not there when God shows up, doubt will ensue. When we're not there when God shows up, 
doubt will ensue. It's a, it's a breeding ground for doubt. So one of the twelve was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Now, there's a, there's a ten of them there, okay? And they're all saying, we saw Jesus. And you would think that Thomas goes, oh, wow. Hey, I missed it. How incredible is that? No, because he's got touchy-feely faith. In other words, he doesn't walk by sight. He doesn't walk by faith. He walks by sight. So he says, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, if I can't put my finger into the mark of the nails, and, this is kind of gross, put my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's the prison of doubt and insecurity. We, if we live in that prison, we negotiate faith on our own terms. Faith means this. Faith means I have to feel and I have to touch or it's not real. That was where Thomas was. And that's a terrible prison because, you know, without faith it's impossible to please God. Have you figured that out yet? This whole deal that we're into, this Jesus thing, is all based on faith. <coughs> and when, we have, when our faith, when we negotiate our faith to mean touchy-feely or it's not real, then we may find ourselves locked up pretty tight. <laughs> this one actually has a little bit of a story on the end. In verse number 27, you know, <laughs> Jesus, says, Jesus shows up again and says, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here. <laughs> And look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Don't be faithless, Thomas. Don't live in this prison of feely, touchy, that you've got to feel it and you've got to touch it or else it's not real. Don't be faithless. And boy, Thomas goes, oh, my Lord, my God. Wow. So, are you in prison today? Are you locked up somewhere? Are you locked in Folsom prison, Folsom prison, and you ain't seen the sun sign since you don't know when? You're stuck in Folsom, Folsom prison, and, you know, train just keeps rolling on. And your life is filled with disappointment. Your life is filled with discouragement. Your life is filled with I want, I wish. Hmm. Well, let's get back to John. John's in prison. Remember that part? We're back in 11, Matthew eleven four. John's in prison. Are you the one... Or should we look for another, said the man who baptized Jesus, who heard the voice of God, this is my beloved son, who said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, said that man. Are you the one? What is Jesus going to be? What's his response going to be? I love this. He tells us the key to prison. He tells us the key to prison. And what he does is he says, And Jesus answers them, Go and tell John 
what you hear and what you see. In other words, go tell John the truth. If you're in prison today, the truth can set you free. Didn't Jesus say something like that? John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Circumstances will lie to you. You're in the storm and the boat's about to go under. Hey, Jesus, do you care? Hey, God, do you care? My, my child's sick, do you care? I've lost my job, do you care? That's what circumstances will cause you to do. But the truth is, the truth that will set you free is that he not only cares, he loved you enough to do this. Allow his son to be nailed on a Roman cross where he bled and died and became sin and experienced the full wrath of God as payment for our sin. The truth. The truth. Doubt, insecurity. The truth will set you free. And where do you find the truth? Not from Dr. Oz. I know it doesn't look in the shape of a key. And that's why I said these are prisons of our own making. We're locked up. And how crazy that is because this is the key. It's the key when we read it, meditate on it, believe it, and apply it. This is the key. That's huge for 2019. It's huge for 2019. So he says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. He goes, the blind receive their sight. This is kind of Mark Lowry's inspiration for that part we read at the beginning. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. These are all game changers. John, these are game changers. These are the actions of the Messiah. These are the actions of the Christ. Are you the one or should we look for another? No other can do this. No other one can open blind eyes. No, one, no other one can cause lame legs to walk and jump or for deaf ears to hear or even dead people come back to life. No other one, John, can do this. These are game changers, and game changers can lead to life changers and mind changers. That's why you've got, and you're in prison, you've got to get in this book and see what it says so, so God can change your mind. You can't change your mind. But God can change your mind. Did you see I quit a little bit soon? Did you catch that? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. Can we sneak into the jail cell? Hey, John, we're back. Now, what did he say? 
He said, well, to tell you that the blind receive their sight and the lame are walking and lepers are cleansed and the dead hear and the dead are raised up. That's what he said to tell you. Oh, and by the way, he said to tell you the poor have good news preached to them. And John went, all the first four, "Mm mm-hmm, fine, yeah, lame, mm, yeah, I got that. And when they said that last phrase, and the poor have good news preached to them, he said, would you mind repeating that? Often, what seems insignificant to us is huge. That's the reason we gloss over so much of this God stuff. Because it seems so insignificant, but it's huge. So John would say, when he hears this list, and the poor have good news preached to them, he'd say, would you mind repeating what you just said? And why would he do that? Because John was a man of the word. And John would instantly flash back to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61 and verse number 1. And here's what the word of God, the prophet said, okay? Here's what the prophet said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Isaiah said, speaking of the Messiah. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. John knew that. He goes on and says, he's to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. But, but back four, five hundred years, six hundred years before Jesus, the Messiah was going to bring good news to the poor. And when Jesus said those words, hey, John, tell John, the good news has been preached to the poor. Caught John's attention. It was an affirmation. More more so, perhaps, than the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, the lepers cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised. More significant, perhaps, is that Jesus said and confirmed what Isaiah said the Messiah would do 700, 600 years before. The poor hear the good news. It was a direct affirmation from God. And nothing dispels doubt, insecurity, fear, and anxiety, all that. Than a direct affirmation from God. A direct affirmation from God. And then he said, now we, we won't have time to, to finish this. Maybe we'll do it tonight. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now I don't have time to go in this like I wanted to. But it'd be so easy, you know, for Jesus to say, Wimp. Slacker. No, he encourages John. And he does a lot more than that. And the scripture is coming up. But when he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, John, don't be discouraged. Just believe. John, don't be discouraged. Just believe. And if God could look into your prison cell tonight, this morning, you know he'd tell you? He wouldn't call you a slacker. He wouldn't say, why don't you be a big boy and put your boots on? He wouldn't say, how did you end up there in that prison anyway? He said, just, just believe. Just believe. You've got the key. He would say, you've got the key to the prison cell. And it's true. And if you know the truth, 
If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Free. We don't know how it all planned out for John. We know this is the only recording of this. He didn't live much longer because Herod killed him, took his head off. But apparently, from what we can see, he believed. It was enough. So what's the big picture for us? What's the bottom line? Well, you know, we serve an awesome God. And... The fact that he has given us his wonderful grace is enough. We probably need to learn to take that grace and make sure it turns into love for the king. Not just love for what he does. Not for gifts and blessings and answered prayers. But love for the king. But the big picture, the bottom line is, today, we've got to be willing to receive the truth. Believe the truth and apply the truth. And let it unlock the doors. You know, they say transparency is limited transparency from a pastor is good. And all I'm going to say is this. I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. I've been incarcerated in all these prisons. I'm not speaking hypothetically. I know. I've experienced doubt, insecurity, fear. Some of the things are very active in my life now. I won't lie to you. So that's why this message meant so much to me. But I do know this too. When Jesus said the truth will set you free, it will. It will. So if you're here today, you're here today, maybe a friend decided by your lunch if you go to church. Maybe it's the last Sunday of the year and you decide to come. I just want to tell you this. We always close our service with a time of decision. And we want to give you, I want to give you the opportunity today to come and say, I want to know more about this Jesus, about that cross and what he did. I want, to, I want to know about this man who didn't condemn a guy who shortchanged him. I want to know more about him. And we would love to answer your questions about Jesus Christ. For many of us, the best decision we ever made was trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Not church, not religion, not start and stop. <laughs> it's a year for resolutions, you know, starting this and stopping that. No, it's faith in Jesus who he said he was, and what he will do for you if you ask him to. So my friend Brent's going to be standing out front. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christ follower. And maybe you, like me, could say, I've been incarcerated. I am incarcerated. And maybe today's the day that you let truth set you free. That you quit believing the circumstances. That you quit listening to more, 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 more. That you quit saying, I've got to touch it, I've got to feel it, or it's not real. You simply believe the truth. If we can help you do that in any way by praying for you, we'd be glad to do that. You know, Mary Powell's favorite verse is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And for the believer in Christ, that truth thing is a done deal. Is a done deal. Let's pray. Well, Father, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing these words. It's one of those times I was just amazed as you fed my soul with this. Oh, Father, I first I need to be selfish and pray that 2019 will be a different year for me. That I'm going to be a jailbreaker. Mm. 
I'm going to let you be the jailbreaker. And I'll just follow you out the exit. Father, may I be a man of truth this year that listens to truth and allows truth to set me free. But now if that's done, I want to pray, Father, for my congregation this morning. For the ones listening on the radio and, Father, for the ones sitting in this room, that we simply would trust you, believe that truth will set us free. Set us free from our sin and from the bondage of our sin by your amazing grace. Set us free from the prisons that we're in by your great truth. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.